Thank you for listening to Recyclables. I really appreciate it. If you want to support the program, the best way to do that is to like, subscribe, and share. Uh, the next best way is to make a donation either through the Acast app or at our Patreon, which is just patreon forward slash recyclables.com. Until next time, thank you. It is it is a podcast that is roughly like a TED talk, but it's done by Pat. It's uh, I it's guess a Pat talk. Yeah, it's a Pat talk. Uh, um, and because Pat likes Chris Pratt so much, it's a <laughs> Pratt talk. I, that was gross. I hate you. I just I would like that on record. I hate that. I'm still go ahead and do this right now. Chris Pratt went to my high school. Oh. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Reggie no. Watts went to my high school. That's fucking sick. Suck my butt. Also, someone on the new season of RuPaul's Drag Race is from my hometown too, and I think they went to my elementary school. Patrick from Thomas. Alaska aren't famous. Patrick Thomas. Patrick Perkins. Oh, I was going to say Perkins. Patrick Thomas Perkins went to my high school, but that's just because oh, I was. I was trying to pretend. Yeah, like we're important. And uh, like, Rochelle Cody went to my high school. Uh, correction, Rochelle Cody. <laughs> Nasty. Bon Yeah, you guys are from the Everything and Nothing podcast. You oh, are. We are. Right? Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah. Do that. That's us. That's a, uh huh. I'm everything. No, uh, and I am uh, nothing for sure. No, I'm uh, I'm Charlie. Yeah, Chris is here too. Yes. Hi, I am Chris. Uh, and you guys can listeners can check out Chris and Charlie on Shady Pines Radio every Thursday at 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. That's right. And you uh, also have a Patreon. That's that's correct. Uh, that's patreoncom podcast. Help us get a cannon. <laughs> I don't support the canon. I, su- I support the everything you... and nothing canon uh, because I would like it to be a part of the recyclable See... armada. <laughs> All right, I suppose you're wondering why I've gathered you here today, my friend. <laughs> We're doing a little bit of a different recyclables. Normally, what happens is I have like a story from history or like an event or thing that or someone I, we want to talk to. Yeah, that we want and, and we want people to rethink things. Today's episode, I want people to try and rethink some of the way they think about drugs. And one of the primary sources we're using for that today is a book called A Brief History of Vice, uh, which was sent to us by a friend who I'm going to call a fan, so I feel more important, uh, a fan Victoria Raven, which is just a dope name to have. Oh, like, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was that applause? No. No, that's that hype noise. <laughs> yeah. She's the one who does poor painting, yeah? Yes. She, Those are really yeah, pretty. Yeah, she also sent me a poor painting with this, but I was... Aww, yeah. This being an audio medium, I thought I would talk about the book. Um, a, to give a brief... Oh, no, don't point on their episode. I feel so bad about you two. No. no. I'm you, Michelle. <laughs> a Brief History of Vice, How Bad Behavior Built Civilization, is written by Robert Evans, which was also one of the reasons I wanted to discuss it. I thought it would be fun to have podcasters on our podcast to talk about a book written by a guy who does podcasts. If I had been able to get my hands on DMT, we would have, like, crossed <laughs> all of the podcast tiers. One like, of my friends asked me if I wanted to do DMT the other day, and I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. And he's like, you're never ready for DMT. That's this is, fair. This book is going to be about drugs. I'm going to give a little report on it. But before we start, do you guys have a favorite drug story, be it your your first time smoking the weeds or getting drunk or bumping the Cokes or, or whatever? Slurping the scissor? <laughs> We've, uh, we have on our podcast the episode with the wonderful 
Dahlia Bell. I like having Dahlia on our show because she won't admit how smart she is, but it's a great way to fact-check myself, to be like, hey, uh, Dahlia, am I saying this wrong? Did I, was I yeah. done here? <laughs> She's a smarty McSmarty pants. Yeah, so are you. That's what's... Charlie is my smarty McSmarty pants. Uh, <laughs> so what we talked about was salvia. Salvia. That's right. Salvia. I, I How long does salvia last? It's not long either, it right? It is not long. Like the full ride, maybe a minute. Oh wow. So during my episode we learned a couple things. And by we I mean I. And hopefully my audience. Uh I learned that the way I had smoked it was bad. I had a Gatorade bottle with a down stem in it like I would smoke weed. And I packed a big ass bowl. You don't need that much, do you? No. As it turns out. No. No. Uh, I'm stressing myself out thinking about this. So I started telling all this and Dahlia uh, pipes up and she's like, so do you want to tell the audience how much you're supposed to smoke? And I was like, what? And she was like, what do you mean what? I was like, I don't know. I, I don't thought really know. I thought I did. What? This was very effective. This was too effective. And she was like, yeah, I fucking bet. <laughs> yeah, you just cooked a ring, baby. <clears throat> so I I hit it. And uh <laughs> And did you I, just do like a fatty bong rip too? Just, <laughs> and, I, oh, it. and I'm sure you probably I it. went for it. <laughs> I went for it. I felt my like, the cough. I was Dying. <laughs> and, Did a uh, lung come out and then the force of you pulling hair back in slurp it right back down your throat? <laughs> it was pretty close. I'm not gonna lie. I, uh, well, so what I had put on was a show called Ruby Gloom, which is a uh, Canadian gothic children's TV show. Um, you can find it on Netflix. And so the characters are all like one of them is a cyclops, one of them is a skeleton kid, there's a bat, you know. I don't know what Ruby Gloom is, necessarily. So is it like a less scary Ariel Monsters? Yeah! Yeah. Okay, because Ariel Monsters was pretty scary. I loved it, though. This is wholesome, and I've listened to the dialogue of Ariel Monsters as an adult, and no. So, (laughs) in this moment, though, it turned out a skeleton child (laughs) whose head had been detached with glowing red eyes was a lot to process given the amount of drugs I just put into my brain. And I began to be very afraid. And then as this was hitting, I said, oh no, no, no. And then Ian is in front of me trying to calm me down. Like he shuts the laptop so that it's gone. And he's like, hey buddy, you're going to be fine. And then I turn my head and everything shifted to the left. And by everything, I mean reality. (laughs) (laughs) Left politically, right? Like, that's... (laughs) Suddenly, just pages. The outline of Ian was just an infinite fucking uh, page book. And I could flip to different pages, and I would be in different dimensions. Just witnessing him and this scene in different times and spaces. And so one that I distinctly remember is Ian as uh, the mayor bear of Townsville. He was like a stuffy and it was all done. <laughs> in, it was great. Um, but by, when I came back, I had learned that I probably spit on his girlfriend and that I was on the other side of the cabin. Uh, and I was very angry. <laughs> and I did not understand anything for two whole seconds. 
And I don't know if you've ever just not been able to process reality before, but that is terrifying. And uh, eventually, I, I come back down, and I could hear Ian just like, Hey, buddy, deep, deep breaths. Deep breaths, buddy. You're going to be fine. Oh, my God. <laughs> Charlie's like, I took out too much aspirin one day, and that was pretty much <laughs> I was going to tell a wholesome story, and I was going to connect it to our podcast to kind of bring it back. Okay. We had New York Times bestselling author Stephen Bruce on our show. This uh, is true. And what did he write? I, I just... the you tell <clears throat> the Vlad Taltosh series. It's like um, let's see, high fantasy in space. Mm. <laughs> okay, never mind. in space. So high fantasy. Um, he's an assassin who is in a one of seventeen noble houses, working his way through life. Uh, he becomes a mob boss in one of these 17 great houses and there's a lot of political intrigue and it's got a lot of sorcery and magic and fight scenes and it's it's a little Sherlock Holmesy. it's it's cool and he not only was this man a New York Times bestselling author he was also a drummer in a band called Cats Laughing you can check them out and his band because he's like a fantasy writer and I think the other members of the band are also writers and so they're kind of famous amongst the writer group so they were in Excalibur uh, which is British X-Men yeah Exactly. So um, this is kind of like it was a cute little visual reference, but he was telling us about the day that that comic came out, and he was going on a tour with his band. And I was talking about my time as uh, as a drummer in a band and going to my first like going to a festival. And the first time I took acid at a festival, uh, or the first time I took acid was at a festival, and uh, how, like I had a great time and just like there was cool lights and, and he was talking about the day that that comic came out with his band in it. They were going to a festival, and they were going to Wisconsin. Yes. And this became kind of their code to... <laughs> because they were looking through uh, a magazine, and there was a, an ad for, like, trips to Wisconsin. <laughs> it was like... It was... It, it was, what was, it, what was the slogan for uh, Wisconsin tourism? Was uh, lose yourself, find yourself, kind of thing. Like find yourself. Usually something that like lines up with acid. Yeah, yeah. And the phone number was like one eight hundred four trips. Yes. So, so they that became their code word for doing acid or any hallucinogens was going to Wisconsin, and so the, he was telling us on that day we were going to Wisconsin. And then we were also going to Wisconsin <laughs> while this comic uh, that had us in it. So. so you went to Wisconsin at a festival. Yeah. Is uh, there anything specific you remember from your first trip that was interesting or funny or embarrassing? Because I've got no, some embarrassing I, to help you out later. I, I, I felt really good that whole night, really. Uh, yeah. We were up all night because our band was <laughs> scheduled for the 7 a.m. slot of this Perfect. night-long festival. We were the last band to play. Right where you want to be. Yeah. yeah. So some people are like, I worked night shift. I got to catch the last act. <laughs> yes! Yeah. Well, and it was like it was like in deep Eugene. It was on this river. It was, a, it was actually a, a birthday festival put on for the for model Joey Dark, who's a friend of mine. Check her out on Facebook. She's an incredible model. After we played, she's like, oh, you guys were so great. And I'm like, oh, I, I thank you. Like, happy birthday. And she's like, oh, I, um, do you guys have merch? And I'm like, well, no, the only merch I brought is the shirt that I made that I'm wearing. It's Rainbow Electric. 
And uh, so I took it off and I gave it to her. <laughs> and then she was like, nice. And, and then she took off her top and she put on my shirt. Did she have anything underneath? No. Nice. <laughs> Holy crap. And then. Hey, Charlie. Yeah, is there a button you push? Yeah, what? No, it sounds like you had a really solid acid experience. Yeah, it was it was very wholesome. So I ate a mushroom because someone just handed it to me in downtown Missoula. It was someone I knew, but he was also a sketchy dude. But I was like, okay. I was going over to someone's house because I wanted to sleep with a guy who was at that house. We fucked up before. He's handsome. Whatever. He thinks that if God was a if God was real, she'd be a woman. Um. So I'm there waiting for him to get back because I think he. He was at work or something, whatever. Like, I knew he was going to get back. So I just, like, laid down on the couch. And I was pretty drunk, too. Well, then this other guy who I knew came home with his girlfriend. They were both super drunk and started fucking. And they were so drunk that at different times during the fucking that I could fully hear, like, fully hear, because I was in the living room right outside their bedroom. Right. Uh, they both vomited. And, like, <laughs> enough that they both need to clean up. But then they oh, went God. back yes. to it. So this is all happening while I'm, like, really drunk Champions. and vaguely high say good on for mushrooms. Them. So Technically, my first experience with hallucinogens, I went to the Portland Festival of Lights on Mushrooms in January, I think. That was really great. Oh, no, it was in February, because it was right around my birthday. That was delightful. And then I went to see Parcels. They're like an Australian electro-pop band on Mushrooms. That was really good. I realized that Mushrooms make public social interactions much more tolerable for me right now. I fucking yeah. get that. Because you know what it does is it grounds you into what is happening around you versus thinking about what other people are thinking around oh, you. Yeah. It's the best part of being drunk without all the things I hate. Yeah. Like, like I can I can move coordination wise. Like, a, oh yeah. A big issue with uh, with pain stuff is like I will like painkillers make me feel normal and make me want to do stuff. So like if I if I get a Vicodin, it makes me want to clean my room because like. My body feels fine for a minute, like it's a very. And you're like, I can do things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a very much a reaction like that. And but mushrooms are one of those things where it's like my body doesn't, and as a result of that, I'll like push myself too hard or something. But mushrooms are one of the ones where that doesn't happen. Like I kind of like the pain becomes a little bit more manageable because you're just not as connected to your body the same. Like you are, but you aren't. I was going to talk about one story. Sorry, I had two. I had a story I wanted to talk about, and then I, I realized like we've all had good stories. I, I feel like add, uh, adding uh, uh, drugs onto being drunk already is yeah. like oversalting something. It's so hard to come back from ruining your night. Yeah, that was part of why I quit mm-hmm. drinking. It was I was like I. I I also, like, I can get blackout off of, like, a can of PBR. The older I get, the easier it's gotten. Yeah. And that, like, that's, that would be something I would, would be interested in ta- knowing the history of specifically well, like, that is... alcohol is because, like, it's, like, such a necessary part of human evolution, but it is also unbelievably destructive. Then have I got a book for you. I know. Oh, my God. That was a hell of a tie-in. Points. We know. Yeah, what was your bad story? I'm so sorry. We actually told more stories than I wanted to put into just one episode. But where can I get those stories, you're asking yourself? Well, if you were a patron, you would just go to patreon.com forward slash recyclables and hear them. Uh, If you're not, I'm sorry. Right now, they're just exclusive to the Patreon. Uh, but you do still get the rest of this episode. Let's jump back into it. Um, the story I wanted to tell was actually uh, to kind of clarify my relationship with drugs 
which was growing up, I've mentioned before on the show, my parents were actual like drug addicts. Like, like, mm. like I remember going to Dare and them explaining the side effects of the drugs my parents were doing at home, like right. at eight, seven or eight, and being like, "This is that's weird, you guys." You, are, are we the baddies moment, but at eight and about like cops instead yeah. of Nazis? Um, but what that meant was when my parents broke up a little bit later and by the time I was in high school, I was pretty legitimately straight edge. Uh, but nobody believed me because I had depression. So, like, I had huge bags under my eyes and, like, um, my, my, my dental status has always been doomed because I just ate candy all the time as a kid. And then on top of that, like, my grandma was a hoarder. Which meant I had really nice clothes, but, like, really nice clothes in the end of the 90s from the end of the 70s. So, like, I only had one outfit I ever wore. So people would be like, oh, you clearly smoke weed. And I would just be like, no, I just look like the symptoms of marijuana use. <laughs> and it became, it was weird because, like, peer pressure, you know, we're taught is, uh, for our younger listener, is, <laughs> we, we know we have maybe one. But peer pressure, okay. you're kind of taught is, is... Uh, people being like do this or else or you won't be cool or that kind of thing and peer pressure for me was much more people presuming I already smoked weed and then trying to get it from me so it was like I, I wanted to smoke weed just so that like I knew what people were asking me about not not out of like my friends were definitely pushers but also my dad grew all of our weeds so oh God. <laughs> fucking yeah. it was not a problem because my dad was also a pusher and <laughs> But then uh, uh, once once it got out that I didn't smoke weed, everybody wanted to, like, there was this weird thing of everyone being like, well, we have to smoke you out now because you, you, so it was like peer pressure existed, but not like, not movie and not the real peer pressure. I had a very, like, unique yeah. pat peer pressure. And uh, the this kid, Brian, uh, offered to smoke me out and I finally took him up on it and I got like all psyched. Like I planned like, all right, I'm going to go to Spanish class. So if I seem confused, it'll be normal. It's Spanish class. Right. And I'm going to, I'm going to do it after lunch so I can steal all the food I'll want like at lunch. Right. Cause that was how I ate. Cause that was a free for lunch program with your pockets. Uh, strawberry shortcakes are easy to steal in a rush. Anyway. Uh, so we went and smoked. I went to Spanish class and like, wasn't sure if I was high, so went and asked everyone in class if I was high to the point where the Spanish teacher was like, yes, Pat, you're high. Sit down. And the main reason uh, I was all excited, too, was because all the kids I knew afterward, the, the other reason I, I didn't smoke was like I was poor. Like I just didn't. Like, yeah, you I, can't afford it. Yeah. But a bunch of my friends were, like, equally neglect. Like, they seemed cool to me, but in hindsight, like, obviously, it's neglect. Yeah. And uh, so I'm all excited to tell them about it, and we're all bonding about it. And when I get home, um, every every day that I went to high school, my mom would be like, did you do drugs today? Because she had done drugs and was, like, paranoid about it. And before I had smoked, I'd been reading George Carlin. And he talks about how he would get drunk at school and then his mom would smell like the whiskey or the puke on his breath and he'd get in trouble. So he smoked weed and she didn't smell anything weird. So he got away with it. <laughs> and the specific line I remembered was him being like, no, mom, I didn't do anything. Where are the Oreos? And so when I got home, I actually told my mom, oh, yeah, I smoked a bunch of weed. Where are the Oreos? And my mom's like, well, you're hilarious. At the end of it, I, uh, uh, at the end of the day, I was like, I like this so much. I can never do it again. 
And so I didn't smoke weed again until I was like 21 because I was like, that was fun and those are drugs and I didn't want it. So that was kind of like my relationship. So to what you're saying is weed not even once because you're a lifelong addict. Yes. Yes, that one time got me hooked. You know that more. that campaign came out of Montana? I did not. Yeah. <laughs> the reason I had you guys tell these stories, though, was to make a point, which is that, you know, drugs aren't evil, obviously. Like, they, they can lead some fun time. They can lead to occasionally you put a machete to your friend's throat because you think you've got a good bit going on. <laughs> you know? Or you pee yourself on a and, hiking and, trail. And you learned... To not be a fucking prop comic. I did. Yes, that was <laughs> that was the last time I did prop comedy. Yeah. Good. Now, now that you mention it, I yeah. love the yeah. idea Good. that there's an alternate universe where you are Carrot Top, and that's <laughs> I could. He's buff. I would. He's like, jacked yeah. now. He's uh, horrifying. Looking. Yeah, and maybe a little he, HRT. Look, he's Carrot Top, not Carrot Bottom, and he wants you to on. fucking know it. <laughs> that's points. Thank you. Points. I was a little proud of it as it was coming out of my face. <laughs> All right. See, Michelle gets it. Yeah. All right. So I wanted to pay attention to my own damn notes. All right. Um, The reason we're yeah, no, it's fine. It's there's literally five here today. It's literally five sentences. That's all my notes are. Like, we will not let you get to two of them. No, it's fine. So, Patrick, is there six sentences? There, there's a web link because I thought I was gonna put sources on this one, but honestly, I'm mostly just Just doing this. It's a book report. Okay. So the book report. The Brief History of Vice by Robert Evans. For listeners who do not know, Robert Evans is a podcaster with a pretty well-established podcast in the form of Behind the Bastards, which goes behind some of history's biggest bastards. Um, uh, it could happen here as talking about like all the sort of sh- scary shit that's going on and how easily it could happen in our own backyard, either using specific examples of things actually happening or making hypothetical situations. Like a, They did one about the drought that could potentially get even worse in California. He does worst year ever, uh, and he, especially the, from the drug perspective, he has a book where a character who's kind of a stand-in for has, him. He has a book called um, uh, After the Revolution that features a black gay Captain Iron Man, basically, uh, who sick, who yeah, who who can take on an entire Christian army <laughs> uh, of Christian and, fascists. Specific. His way of dealing with all like the computer enhancements he has on his body is in the morning he puts a sheet of acid on his chest, just plasters it to his sweaty chest, and then eats the other half sheet of it. The I appreciate the commentary that that series in particular does on the nature of using drugs when you deal with chronic pain. I do think it uses it more for comedic value than to address the issue, but it is overall a good series. Uh, one that I actually strongly recommend people listen to is called The Women's War. It's about anarchist women who fought against the Taliban. Uh, in Syria, if I remember correctly, right, and it is it is super insightful about like a lot of what kind of anarchy in action looks like, a lot of the kind of politics and conversations, what the nature of actually enacting theory versus sitting around and reading it. Um, it is kind of there is this funny reoccurring theme where he kind of asks these old men what they think about taking orders from women, and the guys are always a little bit like, "Yeah, we should have been doing this for a while." <laughs> like, I don't know why we didn't let women in the army forever ago. Um, the other thing that uh, Evans did to that really kind of got him to get into the podcast industry was he worked for Cracked.com. Uh, okay, and the book actually strongly reflects that. 
in that it is very tongue in cheek. You he'll he'll do a lot of it's um, just listicles. Okay. It's all unfortunately. Yeah. No, actually it's not. It does no, it does I a know. good job. I'm just uh, the listicle nature actually is you can kind of see the roots in the book in that each chapter is about an individual not not specifically drugs, but vices in general. So he talks about rock and roll. Mm-hmm. He does talk- he have a loitering one? Uh, I mean uh, that, that could be part of how bad chapter five, how bad behavior saved civilization. Uh... Uh, overall, what he does though is he will present the vice, give it a little bit of a historical context, historical meaning like how uh, we viewed those things morally in the past. Yes. I imagine, and how like the philosophies we had around it, yeah. where we came to in like American history. I imagine, as well as like world history, as well as okay. some prehistoric, like like some. He talked to some anthropologists. Like, there's some cool shit. I will go into a handful of things that I thought were pretty cool. I, I highlighted to stop and tell you guys about. Yeah. The thing that I also think is really interesting that he did particularly well is he kind of talked about the role of these drugs in society or these vices and how they have either proved helpful or proved detrimental in the long run. Um, For example, one of the chapters is about, uh, like I just told you, how bad behavior saved civilization, which is about how being a dick kind of helped the Romans Roman it up, right? Like it's, so uh, his, his, it's very accessible and it's pretty insightful and the information from what I can tell is remarkably accurate. The really fun part is that there's also every chapter uh, features an experiment you can do on your own of some kind. So uh, mushroom pea is included in this book. Is there a baking soda volcano? There is not. <laughs> However, there is a uh, straw device that you put into your nose oh, and I smoke a cigarette through. Yeah, I sent yeah. you guys that video. So there's that. Um, Why do you smoke it through your nose? Uh, the nicotine probably goes directly to your brain faster, especially. Membranes, he said. Yeah. yeah. But the, there's also an experiment where he talks about how one tribe, he also gives anthropological context to these. So one of my, uh, one of the ones I found interesting is that there was a Native American tribe that to have their kind of morning wake celebrations would take a tent and burn huge amounts of weed in it and just hotbox the shit out of this tent and like talk about the departed and and the grieved and so he happened to be dating a pot farmer at the time and got all the cast off and like produced the same experiment but he also tells you like how he did it so you can replicate it at home Uh, as far as i know most of the things in the book are legal he makes a very good point about having talking spoken to people to make sure he wasn't breaking any laws and if you know robert evans that's pretty strongly his style I mean, he does like, when they still were recording together, he liked to cut open old bagels with machetes in his recording space. So I don't know if he's fully into things being legal. He does like to be respectful, but he is also a chaotic goblin. I think that's an accurate description, yeah, yeah. Uh, the book is, like I said, an easy read. It's also available. The way I actually first took it in was through audiobook. It's not read by Evans, which Who was... read it? Um, just some, like, a random... Some jagweed? Yeah. But... It's not Robert Evans? <laughs> which is interesting because the voice still bleeds through. Oh, like, yeah. Like the author narrative. You know, yeah. If someone writes like that, it comes through. Yeah. It only, it's only like an eight-hour audiobook. I can do that. Yeah, it's only, it's not even 256 pages. It's, it's a book that's designed to be in your bathroom or on your coffee table, and it does a really good job of it. But I also think, uh, since a fan sent it to me and a, a friend, I wanted to make sure to feature it in an episode. Like yes. I said, um, you guys ready to hear just a few fun stories? Do you guys still have time? I don't want to. Oh, sure. Okay, okay. Oh, they are moving in. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Actually, 
uh, alcohol, the thing I quit, is potentially one of the binding things in civilization. It so is, tr it's true. Yeah, it's believed that the early Egyptians, or, or even other societies, but in particular, the Egyptians are the ones we have records for of it, used the a... papyrus. Yeah, and used a combination... Not the font, not the font. <laughs> well, actually... Comic Sans. <laughs> it would be... I wonder, I wonder if there are... Where it was, like, a hieroglyphic font. That must have been, like, just to add an extra layer no, of annoyance. I just picture somebody typing the hieroglyphics like sideways because they're like, no, no, I need this to be in italics, oh even though God. Italy hasn't been invented. All right. I'm focusing as well. <laughs> the way the early Egyptians kind of enslaved their working force. By getting them drunk? Yeah, a little bit. You, nice. you fill them full of bread, you get them drunk at the end of the night, and people don't really have the ambition to leave because they're full. Right, and then they're drunk and hungover. Yeah, and so you just you just perpetuate a cycle of addiction and abuse and create slavery from it. Uh, so is is alcohol what created slavery? Not necessarily. I, the the kind of theory is that we created slavery. Let's be honest. Yeah, that we probably okay. have always decided. From what I understand, we've kind of always decided someone else should do the work in some fashion. Once we decided, like there was hierarchies. We do know by the time the people that would become the Pacific Northwest tribes, because I found this out in that episode. By the time uh, people came across into North America, slavery was, some form of slavery was a part of the societies in that, like, wow. you had conquered people who did shit for you, but we don't know when it became, like, an institution, like, when it was, like... A codified system. Thank you. The other theory, though, is that part of what brought people together, society in general, was wanting to make beer. Mm -hmm. you... It's a good thing to do together. Yeah. And not only that, but, like, libations kind of put your guard down. You're less likely to want to kill somebody if you're a little buzzed. More likely maybe More likely want to... Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, ladies? Uh, to quote from the book, uh, and you'll tell which part is Robert Evans and which is not. Feasts were like the United Nations of the Natufian world, the, the kind of Egyptian and southern, yeah, southern or upper Egyptian area. Uh, tribes would invite their neighbors, even their enemies, and use the celebration as an opportunity to brag about how badass they were. Feasting was a way to project power, as well as to cement alliances and work out political discussions. Dr. Hayden, the uh, anthropologist that he's been quoting throughout this, uh, described the whole process to me. There was sort of a rotating system of feasting. So one family has a feast one week, another family has a feast another, and then there's the rotating feast one house after another. It keeps going on and on. These societies are much more social than contemporary industrial societies, and all the social relationships are cemented with beer. Because the wheat that we take to make beer uh, back in those days was super hard to process. Like, you had to do steps to it. And it might not grow in your area, but then Charlie might have the, the other ingredients that Chris needs. So you might as well come together, and then you get beer, and that's how you get society. So basically, they, like, booze as... I mean, and I've heard it described as, like, a social lubricant. So I think that is a, a and, fair thing to describe. And an interesting thing, uh, the other... Posited first drug in history was also music. In fact, um, he didn't go to Stonehenge, but there's a Stonehenge monument that's recreated in northern Washington where he went to. Uh, so it might be very possible that society was founded exclusively by people coming together mm -hmm. to make music and get drunk. So that's pretty dope. Parties are sick, yo. Speaking of parties, you know what livens up every party? Art. 
you know what's really fun art? Poor art. You know who makes amazing poor art? Rochelle. That's right. Uh, she didn't do a promo for herself this episode, so I thought I would. Be sure and check out Rochelle's art at Whore for Poor on Instagram. Uh, and if you see something you like, give it a purchase. Thanks. Also, uh, one of the things I found interesting is, like I said, he talks about how our relationships with some drugs have changed over the centuries, mm-hmm. right? Uh, one of the ones I found particularly interesting was the relationship we've had with tobacco over the years. Yeah. Uh, when the English actually first kind of set up their colonies, they thought tobacco was gross. They were like, this is something the uncivilized, uh, whatever they were going to call it, Native Americans do. Uh, but at the same time, tobacco is incredibly addictive, so of course it took on there is a guy named Amurath the fourth Murad the fourth to his friends ruler of Persia from 1623 to 1640 aka this guy okay is he hot I mean that's not especially he's hot for a 17th century monarch like yeah. I can I can see that as you might have picked up from the fact that the, I'm reading from the book uh the, that he's about to whip out a sword and stab the guy who's painting his portrait. Murad was not a friendly dude. He'd heard rumors that tobacco was an anti-aphrodisiac and might be putting the Persian people off their sex. This would mean fewer tax-paying citizens, fewer soldiers, and fewer portrait artists to replace the ones he murdered. <laughs> he also hated smoke of any kind thanks to a botched firework display that burnt down half the capital during a birthday party. Rather than institute some sort of royal keep-fucking campaign or regulate fireworks a little bit better, he burned to- uh, he banned tobacco. Uh, and then reading a little bit ahead, a possibly apocryphal story exists that once Murad happened on one of his soldiers enjoying a smoke on a lonely night. The sultan approached, pretending to be a random beggar in need of nicotine, <clears throat> and cautiously asked the soldier why he was willing to risk breaking the law for his habit. Uh, if the sultan neglects to pay his soldiers, the, was the reply, uh, or furnish them with more substantial food, they must need sustain themselves by other means. And then he went on to offer his liege a hit. So Murad took the hit, I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, and uh, chopped the guy's head off. Yeah. So, like... Like, I, I, for some reason, every time I think of tobacco, I think of that stereotype of like, oh, you smoked on one cigarette, now you have to smoke the whole pack. Like, I just want that to happen in every scenario where someone busts someone for smoke. I wonder every single time. I like, like he's like, well, you smoked the one cigarette. Like, I just like this guy's logic being like, uh, now I have to kill your whole family. Sorry, now that you've smoked the one cigarette, yeah. we might as well finish your whole pack. Yeah, yeah, no, like. <laughs> That's just so wild. Slicing someone's head off just for smoking cigarettes. There's something about drinking that makes me sometimes want to smoke cigarettes. And then those cigarettes then give me the impression that I can drink as much as I want. And then I projectile vomit. That is one of the interesting things about tobacco. I learned a lot about the use of nicotine from a Stephen King story. Because he writes about a guy in one of his short stories who's quitting. 
And so, like, just in Steven, like, in that storyteller style, like, there's random information inserted. Yeah. And then, like, somebody tries to kill him, and he's like, and despite that, I still didn't smoke. And, like, that's the whole story. But one of the things I found out, uh, like, verified is that there there is a neurotransmitter benefit when you take nicotine. Like, like the, the synapses fire, but it, like, cumulative benefit slows down over time mm. and eventually you need the cigarette just to be like snapping back to normal and like i didn't when i quit cigarettes i was aware of feeling like not dumber but mentally slower like yeah. my thoughts being like man one and one i know this one <laughs> i'm sure i do um too true too true too <laughs> thank you i i left the punchline dangling <laughs> the uh the other there there was two other things i wanted to point out from the book that i thought were particularly interesting one of them is that it talks quite a bit actually about uh lays some groundwork for an episode i want to do in the future talking about sex work and the fact that it was oftentimes used yeah sometimes most of the time but it was oftentimes used in uh like a kind of religious and or therapeutic manner and in fact, there was a point where the Catholic Church... Uh, I don't, have you heard of them, Rochelle? <laughs> I'm familiar with their work. Uh, they actually, you know, some of them ring a bell. They, <laughs> they're monks. In the they subscribe to... Oh, shit. I, I lost my bookmark last time. My, uh, my father would uh, convince people to do ritualistic orgies on uh, army bases. So... You know, I think Recyclables is going to take up a ritualistic orgy stance. I didn't know we were going to be behind that. but Hey, I... you all do what you want to do. I'll be somewhere else. Have fun. The uh, the reason I wanted to uh, talk about the sex work, some uh, it, it, there's future episodes we want to do of Recyclables. One Where of we them... talk about PTP's OnlyFans. Yes. Actually, oh shit. Does I, I do, and I got a notification because I haven't posted on it in like three months. They're but like, they, hey, we they, miss you. We're going to shut it down, so I oh. think I don't have an OnlyFans anymore. Oh, damn. Anyway, <laughs> quoting from the book, uh, in 1358, the great council of the city-state of Venice declared sex work, quote, absolutely indispensable to the world. Over the next century, government-run brothels sprouted up across cities or up in cities all across Venice, France, and Britain. Almost 700 years ago, the government of Venice knew what sociologists ah, have only recently elucidated. Elucidated. Elucidated? Thank you. Oh, it's fine. That's also, uh, there's too many complicated English language words. At least it's not German. <laughs> Prostitution, legal Glad or otherwise, <laughs> plays a critical role in civilized societies. Specifically, medieval Europeans operated under what Ruth Krakus of Temple University calls a hydraulic model of masculinity, according to her 1996 book Common Woman. Quoting her, people believe that pressure builds up and has to be released through a safety valve, or eventually the dam will burst and men will commit seduction, rape, adultery, and or sodomy. <laughs> Which brings me to... Uh, uh, one of my favorite random sex facts about history, we don't know if the Romans, uh, not in this book, just the thing I found out on my own, right. we don't know if the Romans used the pull-out method or not. Because one of the quirks of, of history is we can't definitively say anything that wasn't written down is something that they did. 
And so it's not until the 8th century with St. Augustine, who first says, like, uh, it's kind of an issue to spill your seed on the ground, that we have any idea what the Roman pullout situation is. And the uh, the article I'd read, because it was like research for the sex ed episode that we're doing, uh, implied very heavily that the Roman pull-out method was to make the woman pull away from the man as he ejaculated. Ah. Because Romans... Making women do all the work. Right? <laughs> because Romans were just that patriarchal. Like, just... Oh my god. <laughs> wow. We do know that they knew seed... Uh, semen inside vagina equals baby. Like, semen... Ejaculation inside of part that ha that makes babies leads to babies. But we don't know what they did around it. We also know that there was a plant that um, they actually made a plant go Silphium, extinct. Yep, right? Because uh, it provided... I think that's what it's called. Yeah, I think so. And that is mentioned in the book. We forged it out of existence. Yeah, wow. because it was so good at... Uh, so good at stopping pregnancies and it was Aww. even it was even on the country's currency like mm -hmm. like the the plant was so famous and the last bit of it was shipped to uh it's mentioned in the book i want to say caligula uh was the person to get like the last batch of modern or roman era contraceptive morning after pill this feels like the lorax and the truffle trees so, that so, but in a religious fashion, meaning that there was like prostitution set up to service people who weren't allowed to have relationships. Yes, it would keep you because uh, uh, he gets into it more in depth in the book. And There's they also... still touched little children. That, like, well, that was that, that was why. But I highly doubt they didn't. That was, well, that was their their kind of logic for why you have prostitution is, is because to stop that from yeah happening. because our priests are supposed to be celibate. They're not supposed to be uh, uh, procreating. So we need to do something to make. Make sure they don't go crazy so you have official brothels that also it also means you can kind of have a one-stop shop of like you've come in you've committed a sin <laughs> and you can get forgiveness and you can pay for every step along the way well and who's to say they weren't trafficking children in that too though yeah i'm sure all kinds of horrible holy stuff, shit but... so like when they were talking a lot about like the missing indigenous movement and talking about all of the children up in Canada that they're finding out about. And I mean, there's a shit ton of that in Montana and probably a bunch of other rural parts of America. But, um, someone was pointing out that shit was going fucking wild in Ireland. Just yeah. wild. Because well, what you do is you just fucking, I mean, human trafficking has been a problem for as long as we've had Adoption slavery. Adoption is trafficking. And, yeah. My, uh, my, I think it's my great grandpa was adopted essentially to be a child servant for somebody because this was a thing we did like post-depression you have a bunch of orphans and you don't know what to do with them and then there's like all of this kind of unsettled land that still needs labor force and you don't necessarily uh have a lot of kids being made when people are crossing the country so you just adopt a kid and you got a slave now it's kind of it's kind of dope it's, it worked for my dad yeah it's oh my god <laughs> all right the the last drug I wanted to cover before I uh, get to kind of my final point. The last the, vice. The last vice is coffee. Oh yeah. Uh, there there's actually a really fun video on food theory. Matt Pat goes a little bit more like liberally than I like as far as his politics go, and he's usually more interested in clickbait than accuracy. Uh, but a similar a similar story is covered in here. The argument is made that um, the Enlightenment 
era, the yes. idea of liberty. Well, it's because of, of caffeine. Yes, yeah. because what you do is that thing. We've the, been drinking green tea all goddamn day. Well, whereas oh, beer was a social lubricant and brought people together. It also tires you out and yeah. keeps you, you wake up the next morning hungover, like we shit. said. Meanwhile, you can sit around all night and drink coffee and talk about what a piece of shit the king is, yeah. right? And eventually you start thinking, maybe we don't need kings. Hey, maybe we do something about this. Yeah. And maybe you start thinking, like, what happens when light passes through a piece of glass? Oh, what happens if an apple I'm Isaac Newton. Yeah, literally. Like one, one of the other interesting things about coffee is that it's not usually considered a drug, which means that uh, the Islamic world has embraced it pretty fully, right. which is also uh, there, there is uh, an era during what we consider the Dark Ages where Islam, uh, like Islamic empires ran most of Europe and they are responsible for a lot of the advances, uh, the Arabic number math, system, science, yeah, yeah, math, all science, sorts of shit. some philosophy shit. So there's a strong argument that once coffee proliferated itself into the European world, that was what led to conversations about liberty because uh, at various times, England, France, and Germany all outlawed coffee. And one of the sultanates, I lost my spot for it. Whatever. They're all jacked up on Mountain Dew. They're going to come at you like a spider monkey. I have multiple caffeine references locked and loaded. But that's my favorite one. The, uh, oh, oh well, here's what it was. There was a point where the Grand Vizier Kupreli, K-U-P-R-I-L-I, started to worry that his enemies might use the Empire's coffee shops against him. At that time, the coffee houses were places, this is in 1535, mm. um, at that time, coffee houses were places where members of the intelligentsia would gather to discuss pertinent issues of the day and maybe come to some very negative conclusions about their government. Rather than risk any sedition, Cooperly, Cooperly, K, Big K, decided <laughs> to straight up ban the consumption of coffee within his empire. Uh, I'll let our century-old friend, All About Coffee, describe his punishment for the violation of the new ordinance. So this oh, is no. this is what you would get for drinking uh, coffee. For a first violation of the order, cudgeling was the punishment. <laughs> so it would take Just, you over the head. Yeah. Uh, for the second offense, they were sewn into a leather bag and thrown into the Bosporus River. Oh. So, you know what? That's a pretty <laughs> reasonable upgrade from a bonk on the head. Yeah. You know, here's what I really like is that modern pop culture. Well, I say modern pop culture really kept this idea intact, though, because then hackers came out and they were like coffee shop, coffee shop. Yeah, <laughs> there, there's a episode of the dollop UK that's worth listening to because it talks about the history of gin. And one of the interesting things is the other reason they try to ban coffee in a lot of these empires is because taxes are usually tied to the alcohol. And the coffee is a new thing that's only kind of taxed on the import export, not by the drink right. so like uh uh the coffee is also a threat to the economy in a lot of these places because people are like alcohol does all these terrible things to me meanwhile coffee just makes me poop and i talk 20 words a minute like make me warm um i don't need any help pooping or at least i don't need the kind of help coffee provides yeah it hurts <laughs> also and it's of scary I just wanted to say thank you for listening. Recyclables is kind of entirely audience-funded, but I don't even care about that. I care that somebody's listening to these and getting something out of these, and it sounds like some people are. And that means a lot to myself, to Rochelle, and to today's guests. So, 
on behalf of everyone here, thanks for listening. Let's wrap it up. kind of the, the, the closing part I guess I wanted to do for the recycle it's going to be fun to in edit. closing yeah well the, the, the another thing not in this book but that I, I find interesting which is to kind of consider how people in the past were not just like how did they live but like how similar to us were they? Because history is a recyclable thing. It, it cycles through itself. Things happen over and over again. That means that, like, you know, similar thing. like you said, coffee shops show up again in the 1990s, yeah. in the early 2000s. A lot of shit as far as, like, uh, uh... Did you know that women's suffrage, a lot of it came out of prohibition? Yeah, because, because they... Because women snuck into the bars and then that started to get them to be seen as equal. Most of the like most of the bar fronts in Montana were all built during prohibition, too. Most of our negative uh, kind of relationship when it comes to vices comes specifically from a part of the anti-life equation, uh, which regular listeners know is just my term for like capitalism plus white supremacy. Plus, part of that equation is puritanicalism. One of the big things the Puritans did was they hated fun. Like, mm-hmm. they didn't do Christmas, they didn't do birthdays, they didn't do dessert. Like, they, I'm not even sure they did sex. Like, I'm pretty sure they just stole babies. That's gotta be... That's, <laughs> oh, no, they had to have sex, no, but they, it was they, never fun sex. It's probably handmade style. I honestly think a lot sheet. of what it is, too, is you, you get off on feeling bad in a little bit of a way in, in that society, and you're taught to think, well, I can enjoy things, but it will cost me. And so, like, I will enjoy the sex, but it's going to cost me. And, I mean, that's kind of the, the yeah, relationship. Yeah, people have been fucked. Have you had seen for a long time? Some of that heavy guilt does come from Catholicism, which really kind of founded all of the empires that founded America in general. A lot of America's particular relationship, there's no idea as far as addiction, as far as doing drugs until the 1900s, right? When Harriet Tubman gave opium to babies on the Underground Railroad because she didn't want them to cry, uh, cocaine really did used to be in Coca-Cola. Yeah. Because we didn't have that same... The, the relationship we had with these chemicals was that they were just a part of life. And so the the thing I wanted our listeners to recycle was to kind of think of drugs in terms of not a vice, but as a part of the human existence, as a part of the experience. A coping mechanism. Yeah, because they do and, provide all kinds of cool things. Like, like. Yeah. And I mean, just think about that with a lot of things in your life. Like, decide on whether or not something's worth moralizing. And why Why is something considered a vice? Like, why is being fat a bad thing? Yeah. Uh, I, I do have, like, two... Three criticisms of the book. Now that you reminded me of that, uh, but, but well, no, no, there is there. There was a part I kind of decided not to go into about how uh, you know those Venus fertility statues, the ones that like, like that image. Yeah. yeah, those hotties. Um, yeah, apparently we actually think that that might have been used. Uh, it, it was a way for women to identify what their bodies would look like, uh, maybe potentially during pregnancy or just yeah. in general, because the proportions are actually accurate for a woman looking down on her body. Yeah, and specifically. I've, Guys, specifically when she was pregnant, because if you're pregnant, obviously you're not going out hunting and gathering, and your body is swelling, so that can feel like what's happening, and especially if you're looking down yeah. and you're seeing this big bulge, so it's the kind of identifying that body shape. That's yeah. <laughs> so what so, you're saying is it's okay to gain some water weight. 
Yeah, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. But, I, you, but you have to make a statue telling us about yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. Or, or Tech Nine will write a song about it. So, <laughs> uh, but the, the, the three kind of critiques I have of the book is that I don't think he talks about the nature of addiction, which I think is a very also a serious issue, but not really something that's related to the vice nature of drugs so much as kind of the nature of living life in the anti-life equation right. because really to, to shortcut, I want to do an episode about addiction later. Mm -hmm. So I want to lay some of the groundwork on that of our relationship and feeling with drugs. Oh yeah. I definitely, um, the reason I smoke so much weed is to give myself distance from way too heavy emotions. Yeah. yeah the the uh, stuff you've talked about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Charlie just wants to forget that he's a Michelle is not making the abandonment any better. Um, but the, the, the overall, though, addiction to kind of give it a very brief synopsis is when your the chemicals that you create, your brain grows to depend on them and needs them. And the only real way that happens is circumstances because where... Because there's deficits on other places. Yeah. And so, so addiction is really just the idea of something in your life is worse than drugs are better. Yep. And so the, I don't think he goes very... Uh, he definitely covers the more fun and frivolous side of things. I think it would have been worth it, especially given his current work, to hear uh, more, at least a little bit of yeah. acknowledgement. Uh, the other... The, my other kind of biggish critique is that it is kind of scattershot. There is no exact order to the nature of the things. Mm -hmm. So you get everything from conversations about sacred prostitution to how to find uh, salamander brandy. Sailors say salamander brandy. <laughs> it doesn't work. And the uh, the only... Salamander brandy! You're, You're a fine fuck. girl! <laughs> Anyway, uh, uh, and then uh, that does kind of bring me to my final critique, which is that it is fun. You need to do if you're going to read it and you want more information. There is a lot of other places that will have more in-depth information for what it is. I think it's pretty solid. It's a good fun read. Yeah, it's a good fun read. It does have fun information. I really appreciate the fan who sent it to us. Um, back to Stonehenge real quick because I've been holding on to that. Oh. So the the rocks in the middle of of Stonehenge have a higher metal content so they are particularly resonant those are drums so yeah that's the stonehenge in... was probably a music venue and everybody everybody like obsessed for years they're like oh but the you know the solstice and it goes through that like that might be it too it could be both yeah it could absolutely but it's... why not both? and they're like well why did they bring these rocks all the way from the other side of the island it's like because they the sound acoustics. cool like yeah. so in the british museum they actually have some not the samples from of the same rocks, and they have little mounts you can so play. So, like, have you met Harry Potter? Well, Sorry, Pat. Was there more you wanted? To oh talk no, about? I was. I just found the quote about what he was saying that researchers by science, research by scientists. Uh, from the universities of Salford, Bristol, and Huddersfield, suggests that the placement of the rocks within the original Stonehenge would have been and would have had an acoustic effect easily and noticeable to human ears, and thus the prehistoric Britons who spent their life hauling it into place. Dr. Bruno. F Sorry, a lot of words at once. Bruno Fazdena, a scientist who's dedicated years of his life to studying Stonehenge acoustics, is appropriately cautious about these findings. And uh, we should assume that the Stonehenge was built with Swiss Army pragmatism and the best minds of the ancient people. That they were like, if we set it up this way, we can get sounds and the stars can be right there. Like, 
Form and function. Yeah, like it's Stonehenge. It's it goes back to the thing I've noticed where like anarchy's been around for a while. Just you don't call it anarchy when it's a bunch of tribes on the plains. Like it's just just we do shit the way we do it. Like which is anarchy. Yeah, like (laughs) funny how that fucking works. Seriously though, you guys should listen to some of After the Revolution. It's all on like whatever. Sick. That and it's super great because like there's a city. I think I've told you guys about it. It's like a Mad Max city on wheels with a bunch of people with like all these like Rolling mechanical fuck. and computer add-ons to their bodies to be fucking wild. Yeah, I was telling my friends about it yesterday. Rolling fuck. It's an anarchist yep. paradise where they 3D print all the drugs that they want for whatever they're like one of the plot points is a guy doesn't realize he's drank acid beer because he thought the like percentage was the alcohol content and it was like the acid percentage so he just has like a huge trip. Some and it has gay like, captain Iron Man, like oh yeah, like and Roland the, is the best. He is so funny. Um, there's a character <laughs> who is chromed out and like they that's use that's the cyborg. Yeah, that's like how they're cyborg and like they part of their thing is that they can change gender, like gender presentation. Like they're like, I decided to wear a penis today because we were going to war and like war feels like fitting. a penis occasion. Like it feels like yeah. So it's a. It's a really good book, and it's soothing. I've been listening to it to kind of distract myself from how depressing it is. It is weird, because it's, like, it, it's after, like, like... It's after a civil war that happened in, like, 2070. And no. there's, there's, like, nuclear fallout and shit, and there's, like, stuff that, like... It's, like, how fallout is kind of soothing, you know, where you're, like, uh, like... See, just acceptance of the inevitable. Yeah. So, I didn't know... But it's still positive. Like, it's a... You, Utopian, but 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 less. Uh... It's kind of the same way Alaskans think about the zombie apocalypse. To us, this is a solution. Yes. Yeah. yeah no, it's the same because he's from Texas. Like he's from. Yeah. Fucking. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. Well, no. Um... I mean, Alaska and Texas, I think, have very similar. There, there's a similar strain of dude that proliferates in both areas. Uh, as far as like guns will solve a lot of my problems. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys for being here and letting me yabber on forever about a book. Once again, where can people find your things and your stuff? Well, uh, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash everything podcast. And you know, you can see all of our socials there. It's pretty crazy. Pretty but dope. Instagram, Facebook, we're on YouTube. You know, Utes. Everything and nothing. Just the search Utes. for it. You'll find it. Yeah, we're. Right there. Uh, Hell yeah. And then we're on Shady Pines Radio. Uh, Every Thursday morning from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. He's so he's so well-trained. And, like, in general, they can just... Whatever podcast aggregator, they might be able yeah, to find you yeah, under yeah, everything and nothing. We're definitely out there. Yeah. Everything and nothing. There are other everything and nothings. We are the ones with the cute cartoon logo. Can, can um, someone get the podcast transcript delivered by Carrier Pigeon? <sighs> Not yet. Are you working on that? Because yeah, this is an accessibility issue. We, I, I would like to I just a second. Just like, I, I want to tangentialize. You can get from the ACAST thing transcripts written. Oh, I know. No. no I, I got it. I'm I got it. Ready. I got it. I got it done for the cost of convenience. And so often it says pause A A A A A A for when I'm like, I'm a, like, oh, like, no. like it gets all of that into the transcript. So it looks oh. like it. It looks like the things characters in uh uh. Cthulhu books, right? When yeah. you see Cthulhu, like it, it was, it was nightmare. Yeah, who's that racist? I can't think of his name. All of a sudden, HP Lovecraft. Thank you. Yeah. It's gonna drive me crazy. 
musical clips come from Aesop Rock's The Blob, which you can get for free on Rhymesayers Entertainment. It's a great half hour. Uh, Recyclables was researched, produced, and edited by Patrick Thomas Perkins. That means when it sounds weird, it's my fault. But when it sounds great, it's because the patrons. Thank you, patrons, very much for supporting this show. I love you. I don't remember the the old version as much. I just remember the book as much. Uh, it was most. the whole thing was anyway. The, 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 the new one was kind of sad. I watched it. Uh, oh yeah. Um, that helps. Thank you for picking up recyclables today. Donations to the Acast streaming service are of course always welcomed, but the best way to support the show is by going to patreon.com forward slash recyclables and becoming a patron today. If you can't do that, another great way is by liking, subscribing, sharing, rating, and reviewing the podcast on whatever podcast listening service you use. All right, thanks.